Can you hear me? All right, good. I, I don't usually get such a good intro because Pastor Rich isn't usually here when I do this, you know. So thank you for that. Um, so, you know, on the, this time of year, I think about it, the, the second time I ever came up here and shared was Super Bowl Sunday, right? And that did take a little bit of the pressure off because I knew that everybody was just thinking about the Super Bowl and about getting home to make their snacks and everything. And so as long as I got people out of there on time to go home and make their buffalo wings and their potato skins, then I was going to be okay. And, you know, that, that Super Bowl actually was the, it was almost four years ago now, and it was the one where the Patriots came back from 28-3 to and beat the Falcons. So if you don't remember what I said that day, then I'm going to do what Pastor Rich told us to do last week, and I'm going to forgive you for not remembering that, because that probably wasn't the most memorable thing that happened that day for a lot of you sports fans out there. you know. But last week we did talk about forgiveness. And we're talking, we've been talking about the Lord's Prayer, and uh, we got to uh, verse 12 where you know, Jesus says, Forgive us our debts as we have also, also have forgiven our debtors. And so we talked about how important it is to both be forgiven and to forgive others. And one of those comes a lot easier to us than the other, right? We, we want to be forgiven. You know, we know that we're sinners and we know that we need forgiveness. But forgiving other people who have hurt us is a little harder to do. But that's what, that's what Jesus tells us to do. And it, it made me think of, reminded me of uh, a 10th Avenue North song from a few years ago. I don't know if many of you have probably heard it. It's called Losing. And in the song they sing, uh, Father, help me forgive them. I feel like the one losing. You know, and, and it can feel like that sometimes to, for, to forgive someone. That By forgiving them, we're like rolling over and giving up uh, our uh, end of a dispute, argument, problem, whatever. You know, we we want to be right. You know, and, and, and we, we probably are right, you know, maybe. Or you know, sometimes we are. <laughs> and, uh, and yet we have to forgive the other person. And maybe they're not even sorry. They talk about that in the song too. Like, even if they're not sorry, we need to forgive them, you know. And uh, so it can feel like losing. We're like losing this battle. But that's uh, only until we actually do the forgiving and then we see that we've, we've, we've won. We've beaten that, that uh, bitterness that we had inside of us building from, from the unforgiveness. So Jesus teaches us to forgive. You know? And uh, if that's what Jesus tells us to do, then we need to try and do it. And it's for our own good. You know, if, we're, if we've been set free from this massive debt that we have of our sin, you know, we, we can't uh, hold somebody else in debt to us. It's like the parable that Jesus uh, taught, taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 18, where the man was forgiven the huge debt that, that you know, some translation, you know, what people have tried to do the math, and it's either millions or billions of dollars he was forgiven in debt. And then he went and choked his fellow servant for something that was minuscule in comparison. You know, so we don't want to be like that guy, that's for sure. And so, so that was what we talked about last week, just to recap. You know, the Holy Spirit will help us to forgive, and then we'll be set free from, from holding on to that. So this week we're going to pick up right after that, and we're going to go into the next verse, just the first half of the next verse, and lead us not into temptation, Matthew 6.13. If you, if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Of course, a lot of us have this memorized uh, anyway, 
uh, from childhood and just from hearing it over and over again. Now, my sections seem to keep getting smaller, and now I've got half a verse here. Um, <laughs> but I find that despite that, I keep having more and more to talk about than I, than I can fit into the time frame that I have, so that's a good thing. Um, which is so different than these words that I repeated so many times as a child, that I could stand here and talk to you about half of a verse for half an hour when I used to repeat these words over and over and over again without thinking about them, without going any deeper into them. You know, uh, like many of you, I was raised Catholic, and so this prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer, was part of my everyday life. You know, uh, we, we all said it with my mother before we went to bed every night. We said it at Mass on Sundays. Uh, on the occasion that we went to confession, we got assigned 10 Our Fathers to say, you know. That's how we knew it then, as the Our Father, not the Lord's Prayer. So we memorized it, we repeated it over and over and over and over again. A lot of you have had the same experience, I'm sure. Uh, but do we stop to think about the meaning? I, I know I didn't. Rarely, anyway. Uh, and I must have said it thousands of times. You know, and I'm not even talking about rosaries or penance here. I'm talking about once a day, 365 days a year for 10 years. That's 3,600 times, right? So... Thousands of times I said this prayer and didn't think that much about it, just uh, repeating it over and over again. Um, but one time, my dad put us to bed. My mom usually put us to bed, said our prayers with us, read us a story and everything. One time, like, like this is how rare it was. I can remember one time that my dad put us to bed. You know, my mom didn't go out a lot or anything, didn't have a lot of uh, things to do at night. Um, but one time, my dad put us to bed, and we were saying the Our Father and he stopped. He stopped and he told us what each part of it meant. You know, and he, he, he went over each part of it. And it's probably the first time I ever, under, even though I had said it hundreds at that point or maybe thousands of times, first time I knew what hallowed mean, meant. You know, I had said hallowed so many times and I didn't know what it meant. So it was very unusual. You know, first of all, it was so, so unusual that my dad was putting us to bed. Second of all, it was unusual for my dad to talk about this kind of stuff. But maybe he heard the robotic sound of our voices as we droned on and on and said, oh, I got to do something about this. You know, this doesn't sound right. <laughs> my kids are chanting, you know. But it did, I think, plant the idea in my head that I th should think more about my prayers and I didn't know it at the time because I hadn't made the connection that this prayer was also a part of Scripture. I should think more about Scripture. You know, that's what I was... I needed to think more about Scripture and I needed to think more about my prayers. Um, so thanks, Dad, for that. <laughs> and uh, recently, you know, speaking of Catholicism, uh, a couple of years ago, Pope Francis in 2019, he caused quite a stir by changing the words of the Our Father, of the prayer. And he changed them in this one line that we're looking at today. He, he changed it to, do not let us fall into temptation, instead of lead us not into temptation. And his explanation was that he didn't think it was a very good translation. He also didn't provide any scholarly evidence of that, that it was a bad translation. He went on to say, that it speaks of a God who induces temptation. I am the one who falls. It's not him pushing me into temptation to then see how I have fallen. It's Satan who leads us into temptation. That's his department. Okay. 
Now, I could spend the rest of the time here, you know, I think I've got about 25 minutes left. I could spend it 20 minutes talking about how wrong that is <laughs> and, and how, you know, we, we can't just go changing God's word to suit what we think, you know. Um, but I, I, I want to spend time on God's word, not on people's word. So uh, we'll, we'll get through that quickly. Um, he does raise some, a, a couple questions that I think people have, though. You know? And I, I think we can all fall into that trap when we're looking at parts of the Bible that we have a hard time grasping or understanding. Or Like, how could God do that? That doesn't line up. It's, it's that we're trying to put God in a box that we've made ourselves. You know, we're trying to make God fit what we think is good and right instead of uh, looking at, to God to see what's good and right. You know, we, we have a, our own human idea of what's fair and what, what God should do that we, we carry around with us, you know, impressed on us by our, our, the world around us and what we've grown up with and everything. And so... Uh, we can fall into that trap of thinking, oh, I've got to make this scripture make sense in a way that, you know, fits my idea of what God should be doing, right? I read one article from a pastor who said, the, the article was called, Reading Your Bible Upside Down. And that's what, he, that's what he was describing, is when we read the Bible and try to make God fit into our, from our perspective, what we think God should be doing, you know. So, while I don't agree with changing it, and I don't agree with the idea of changing it at all. I do think that uh, Pope Francis did raise, you know, kind of think, thinking about it, raises the questions that people have about this verse. You know, some of those questions are, is the translation accurate? Uh, is some, or is something getting lost in the translation? Would God really lead us this way? Does God tempt us? Why do I need to pray this? So I'm going to try and answer those questions and, and, uh, and one more. You know, the first one I, th- I thought of, is it wrong to be tempted? Because in his little explanation there, uh, the Pope kind of indicates that just the act of being tempted was wrong. You know, he kind of lumps being tempted and giving into temptation is the same, into the same thing, but they're not the same thing. Um, so we'll talk about what temptation is and is not. Now, show of hands... How many of you have never been tempted to do something wrong? Okay, okay. I wonder if I just tempted any of you to lie about that, you know? <laughs> so most of you probably know the answer to this question, but is it wrong to be tempted? Is the temptation we feel to do wrong in and of itself a sin? Well, we can look to God's word for the answer to that. The short answer is no, but don't take my word for it. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, which tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So that's speaking about Jesus, of course. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So if Jesus was tempted and was without sin, then we are, when we are tempted, we are not sinning by being tempted. Being tempted is not itself a sin, just to make that clear. All humans are tempted. It wasn't a sin when Jesus was tempted, and it's not a sin when we are either. Now, sin comes when we give in to temptation. Sin didn't enter the world when Eve thought about taking the fruit in the Garden of Eden. When the, when the serpent talked to her, that's not when sin entered the world. 
Sin entered the world when she gave into that temptation, took the fruit, gave some to Adam, and he, he ate it too. So the action of committing a sin is what, uh, what we're talking about here, not just being tempted to commit a sin. Everyone is tempted. We have a choice to obey or disobey God in those situations of temptation. So, with that out of the way, temptation itself is not a sin. Are we losing something in translation? Now, that's not out of the question to say that we're losing something in translation. A lot of the times we look at the original words, whether it's uh, Hebrew for the Old Testament or Greek for the New Testament, because it is possible to lose something in translation. There are Greek words that don't have direct English words. The example I always think of is that there's so, so many different Greek words for love, different kinds of love, and we just translate them all as love. One word, love. You know, whether it's brotherly love, romantic love, or agape love, you know, a love that's uh, sac- sacrificing for, one, for another, all those are together as love in our language, but in Greek there's different words for them. So it's possible that when translating we can lose something from the original language. Um, and that's why we look at Greek words. It's not because uh, it makes me seem like I belong up here if I use Greek words. You know, <laughs> It's not to be scholarly. It's because I re- it really helps us sometimes to understand better what God was speaking to us through his word if we go into, into the original language and see exactly what the word means. And sometimes it, can, it only serves to confirm that the English words that we're reading are, in fact, the right ones. So... The first word I thought we'd look at here, you know, because it's, the, it's really the, the verb in question here. Does God really lead us into temptation? Let's look at this word lead. And the Greek word, my Blue Litter Bible says, is eispharo. And it can be translated to lead into, bring into, or carry once in the NIV. It's used seven times in the New Testament. And some examples of, our, of it are when the uh, friends of the paralytic man brought him to Jesus and lowered him through the roof. That was that word, ice pharaoh. They brought him. Another one is when Jesus told his disciples, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So that word brought before synagogues, that's another instance of ice pharaoh. Brought. That's in Luke chapter 12. Now, I could go through all seven examples, but I'll tell you that lead us, lead us is actually the least forceful word, the tr- least forceful translation of this word that we could use. So if we think that, you know, oh, no, God wouldn't lead us that way. Well, how about God would bring us there? Or how about God would carry us to temptation? You know, if we replace the word with the other uses of the word. So lead us is actually the least forceful one, but they all mean the same basic thing, that God brings us there. So... So much for that idea, that God wouldn't lead us into temptation. That's exactly what the word means. Now, the other word, main word in this is temptation. And the original Greek word for that is perasmos. It's translated as temptation or trial. Now, here I found this interesting because which word we choose to use, they're both the same word in the original text, perasmos, but which word we choose to look at kind of, we have a different reaction to, to the words temptation and trial, right? I, I know I do anyway. If we look at the word temptation, 
it feels like a foregone conclusion that we're going to fall into it, right? You know, we might, we might it, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's, we're right there on the edge. We're falling into temptation, you know, whereas a trial, on the other hand, seems like something passable. We can get through this, you know, but that isn't because the two words are actually different in the Bible. It's because the way that I think of them are different. You know, or even just the, the English words kind of have different connotations. So they're really the same thing. And God doesn't see a temptation as something that we can't pass. God sees a temptation as something we should pass with his help. You know, just like a trial. Temptation makes you think of being enticed, baited, or trapped into doing wrong, right? Anybody else? A trial. I can get through a trial. Now, Peter used this word in 1 Peter 16. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. It's the same word. Perasmos. So, I need to rethink how I view the word temptation, I think. And bring it more in line with how God sees it. It's not itself a sin. And the same way that Jesus avoided giving into sin, I can avoid giving into sin because I have the Holy Spirit living within me now. And with God's help, I can avoid giving into temptation and, and sinning. It's not a foregone conclusion. Of course, you know, I have fall, you know, fallen into temptation. I have uh, messed up and sinned. And, I, you know, I'm guilty of that. And I'm, I'm even guilty of trying to use the fact that I, uh, uh, the way that I view temptation as an excuse for my sin. Well, of course I sinned. Look at what I was dealing with here. Who, who wouldn't, right? That's, that's the excuse I make to myself. You know, as if I was placed in an impossible situation that I couldn't avoid sinning, right? Well, you don't know the guy that I'm talking about here that I, that I blew up at. You don't know what he said to me, you know, it's not an impossible situation, and we, we can't look at it like it is. God hasn't uh, trapped us into sinning, though he, he does lead us into situations that, that are t- tempting. A trial. Lord, forgive me for my poor excuses for my sin. It just may, it's to try and make yourself feel better about your sin, right? That you make excuses for it. And uh, you just call, call sin a sin and ask God to forgive you for it instead. Now, I'm not going to examine the Greek words for and, not, us, or into. I think those are a little more straightforward. Um, but I think from looking at temptation and lead, that, that we can see that you know, there's not something being lost in translation in this case. That the translation, can, the Greek words confirm what the English words say. So, the verse is accurate. Sorry, your eminence. You know, <laughs> but it's, it's accurate to the original language. So that leads us to the next question. Would God ever lead us into temptation? Short answer, yes. Matthew 4, verses 1 to 3 tell us, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So in the first verse there, we can indeed be led by the Holy Spirit into a situation where we will be tempted, because Jesus was. The Holy Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted. Why? Why was Jesus led out into the desert to be tempted? Well, I'd say it was to demonstrate his holiness, that he was 
able to withstand temptation, but did go through temptation just as we do, and also to glorify the Father because he stood up under temptation and did not give into it. He glorified the Father as everything that he did here, he was, he was glorifying the Father through. He remained obedient to the Father. Now, we too may be called into a place of temptation to glorify God. You know, can any of you think of a place that in a normal year you have to go every single day that presents temptations to you all day long? You know, a workplace, right? When you're in the office or in in your workplace, you're around other people, you're around unbelievers, you might even be around believers, but there are tempting things Tempting conversations, things that are going to tempt you to say the wrong things, say things you know that aren't right. It happens to me. Inappropriate subjects, inappropriate language, gossip, kind of slanderous talk, you know, saying things malicious about other people. You, those things all happen in a workplace. They happen in my workplace, and I work in a bank, not a construction site. You know, that's the kind of place you think of all the coarse language happening, right, at the construction site. But that's not necessarily the case. All of it happens in, in the bank, too. You know, we're called into a place of temptation. We, we go to work every day. So I'm, I'm in this place of temptation where I have all these conversations going on around me, you know. But, and even working from home, it just shifts over to email <laughs> instead of uh, happening in person. And... Yet I know that God called me to work in this place. God called me to be there to provide for my family and to be a witness to other people around me. I'm, I'm very convinced of that. You know, I've been working in the same place for almost 19 years now, and I think that's where God put me, you know, and I don't think it's an accident that I ended up there. So if God called me there and, I, and I'm tempted there on a regular basis, then yes, God can lead us into a place of temptation, we can also put ourselves in a place of temptation. You know, that's certainly possible. We, you know, if we're, if we're going out looking for trouble, we'll find it easily enough, and that's not God leading us into temptation. But God will bring us to places of temptation, and for the same reason, we can glorify God by being obedient to him in that temptation. You know, when you do uh, abstain from all that inappropriate stuff, the conversations and everything, sooner or later people will start to notice that you're a bit different than the rest of them. When you, when you join in, you just look like everybody else, and I've been guilty of that too. But when, when you do differently, when you act differently, when you act in a way that honors God and, and goes by his word, then you'll stand out and then you can glorify God by resisting temptation. And it will help you to grow in your dependence on him. Because if you're going to resist temptation when you're being exposed to it all the time, you're going to need to depend on God and ask for his help. So that's, that's the other thing that we get out of that. Uh, the temptation is that we depend more and more on God when we're placed in these situations. So, yes, God leads us into places of temptation and helps us to resist. Now, does this mean that God tempts us? Another short answer, no. God is not the one doing the tempting, most definitely not. In the Garden of Eden, it wasn't God who walked up to Eve or slithered up to Eve and said, you know, did God really say you can't eat that fruit? That wasn't God doing that. It was the enemy. It was the serpent, the devil, tempting her. But one, one could argue, you know, I suppose, why, why did God let the serpent in the garden? 
Why did God make a tree that he didn't want anybody to eat? Why did God uh, make the fruit look so good? You know, I'm glad this isn't a study in Genesis that we're going into today. And I'm, you know, I could be here all day talking about those questions that people kind of, those are some of those questions people ask to be argumentative, right? You know, like if, I think there are, there are some people that genuinely want to know the answer to those questions. And there are some people who just do them because they want to stump you somehow. But I do think the answer to all those questions really is that God allowed temptation because he didn't want us to obey him only because we had to. We want, we need, he wanted us to have a choice, to obey and love him and serve him because we chose to, not because we had to. He could have filled the garden with robots, programmed to do what they were supposed to do, and they wouldn't be tempted by serpents at all. He could have made a serpent-proof garden. He could have put the tree outside the garden. But he wanted us to obey him and love him by choice. You know, if I ever break down and get a Roomba for my house, right? You know, the vacuum, robot vacuum cleaner. If I ever get one of those and it does a great job cleaning my carpets, right? I'm not going to make the mistake of thinking the Roomba did it because it loves me, right? It's his programming. It had no choice. God wanted us to have a choice. But he isn't the one who's doing the tempting. He allows tempting, but he's not doing the tempting. James 1, 12 to 13 tells us, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. So, God's not doing the tempting. One source of temptation is ourselves, our own evil desire. Jesus told his disciples when they were falling asleep in the garden, sorry, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So our flesh is weak. That's a source of temptation. We, we have temptation within ourselves. There's two more sources of temptation. Does anybody know them? The flesh, the devil, the world, right. So the three sources of temptation are the same as what we would describe as the three enemies of the soul. What a coincidence, right? Three enemies of the soul are the same as the three sources of temptation. God does allow us to be tempted and tried, go through trials, and he even uses periods of temptation and trial for our good and his glory, but he's not the source of them. When in the book of Job, it was Satan who came to God and wanted to test Job and, and uh, do harm to him because Satan claimed that if, if uh, Job didn't have such a good life, he wouldn't, he wouldn't serve God and he'd curse him, right? But it wasn't God doing the, the striking. God allowed Satan to strike him, to take everything away from him, to hurt him, to give him boils and all these other terrible things that happened to Job. God allowed Satan to do that, but God told Satan only this far. God was in control of that. Now, if God was the one doing the tempting, then we'd really have an excuse to, to sin, right? Because who could stand up to God if God was the one trying to get us to sin, right? I'd be off the hook. That's really, I think, the idea behind people who say that God's tempting me, is that means you're off the hook. If God's the one tempting me, well, my hands are tied. I, I, had, to, I had to sin. 
But God's not the one doing the tempting. God's the one helping us resist temptation if we'll turn to him. I don't think, I don't think any of you think either that the same God who gave his only son that we wouldn't perish but have eternal life is out there trying to get us to sin, to commit the sins that Jesus paid for with his blood. So, another question. Why are we to pray this? If God leads us into temptation, and that's part of his plan for our lives, why are we praying not to go into temptation? Interesting question. Now, all of our prayers should be with the uh, idea, not my will, but yours be done, God, right? You know, if you want to keep me from temptation, please do, but not my will, but yours be done. If you want me to go into temptation, then that's your will, and I accept that. Please help me to get through it. But knowing, you know, even though that sometimes temptation is definitely his will, we can still ask to be spared it. English Bible commentator R.T. France said, God, while he does not tempt men to do evil, does allow his children to pass through periods of testing. But disciples aware of their weakness should not desire such testing and should pray to be spared exposure to such situations in which they are vulnerable. Of course, it's better for us when we're not tempted, right? We shouldn't want to try and prove how strong we are by, oh God, bring on the temptations. I can, I can do it, right? We should be aware of our own weakness and say, God, please spare me that. And when it does come, then we can ask him for help with it. If it's a sincere prayer, then we have to live up to our end of it. If we're really praying that God would keep us from temptation, then we need to be avoiding temptation as much as we can. If we're going to ask God to keep us out of temptation, we can't go walking into it ourselves. Now, we can't stop going to work, and we can't, you know, stop. Some, some situations are unavoidable. But some things we, we can take ourselves away from. We can... Uh, we can't, I can't stop going to work, but I can uh, stop joining in conversations that I know aren't heading in the right direction. I, you know, I, can, uh, I can't take myself out of the world that seeks to tempt us at every turn, but I can avoid watching and listening to stuff that I know I shouldn't be, that will tempt me. You know, we can't avoid, you know, we can avoid websites that bombard us with inappropriate ads all over the place trying to get us to click on stuff that we shouldn't be clicking on. There are things we can do to avoid temptation. And that's what we're supposed to do, especially if we're going to pray that God would help us to avoid temptation, lead us not into temptation. We can't be heading into it ourselves. But when we do face it, let's remember that God's not left us to face it on our own. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us, So if you think that you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So remember to trust him. He's faithful. If he promised a way out of temptation, it will be there. Even if you don't see it right away, keep looking for it because he's promised it. You know, you might need to run out of the building like Joseph did when Potiphar's wife was after him. Might, might look a little weird, you know, whatever you're doing to avoid your temptations. But there'll be a way out. He allows tempting at times, but he also provides the escape route and the strength, and the strength in him to do the right thing when we're there in that place of temptation instead of the wrong one, if we'll ask him for help. So... Let's pray.
Lord, would you just thank you that uh, we have your word and we can just uh, dig into it and see, see what you have to say instead of what the world around us has to say. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us in these situations of temptation, Lord. We know that they're going to come and we pray that you would help us uh, not to uh, fall in those situations. We do pray that you would keep us from them as much as possible. And we pray that you would help us to see that we need your help when we get into these situations. Uh, help us to avoid unnecessary sources of temptation in our lives. Make, make decisions to uh, make it easier, Lord, to, to just keep following you. Forgive us for the times that we've given into temptation, Lord. We know, Lord, that that's our own fault and not anything that you've done for your all good all the time. I pray, Lord, for anyone here who doesn't know you as their Savior yet, Lord, some, anyone who hasn't asked you to be their Savior, I pray, Lord, for them right now. And if that's you here or watching at home, you can pray with me. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I, it's my fault for what I've done wrong. And I know I need a Savior and I believe that you came down, Jesus, and died on the cross for my sin. I want to turn from my sin and follow you. Thank you for what you've done for me. So we just, uh, we just thank you again, Lord, for everything that you've done for us. We praise you for who you are, the, the only uh, person who ever could resist all temptation and live a sinless life. And we just, we want to live for you and follow you. And we pray, Lord, you'd help us to do it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. See you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>